Hello, everybody, and welcome back to the Sidious Mag Podcast. I'm Chris Chavez, and this is my show where I chat with some of the biggest names on the track, on the roads, within the coaching ranks, and across the running industry. Our guests sit down and open up in-depth to share their experiences, their brilliant insights, and their vivid snapshots from their professional and personal accomplishments within the sport. Today's episode of the Sidious Mag Podcast is presented by New Balance. Those of you who have followed me on Instagram or Strava may have seen that I'm starting to up my mileage and get some long runs in. I've been wearing the Fuel Cell Super Comp Elite V3 as I train for my fall marathon, and they just came out with a brand new colorway for the New York City Marathon, so their entire gear collection is up on the New Balance website from jackets to five-panel hats and hoodies. If you're racing, they've got you covered to commemorate the moment. What I love about the SC Elite V3 is the snug fit, but mostly the energy return in those late miles. I'm able to still get some pop in my legs after 20 or so miles, and I'm going to need as much of that as possible on race day. The shoe was a winner in Runner's World 2023 Shoe Awards in the racing shoe category, and I'm a big fan. It pairs well with the Pacer and Super Comp Trainer in your training rotation, so you've got plenty of options to choose from. I'm spoiled by a number of Super Comp Trainers that I've got in my closet right now for my easy miles, so thanks to Team New Balance for hooking it up. Get yourself a pair today and snag yourself a PR in the fall race of your choice. Visit newbalance.com today. We're also brought to you by Olipop. We've been pounding Olipop for months now and our gut health has never been better. We know all the trepidation that runners have had for years about drinking soda. Olipop calls itself a new kind of soda. Whether you're a runner, a fitness enthusiast, or just someone who wants to make better choices, Olipop is the perfect drink for you. Olipop is a low sugar, low calorie beverage that's packed with prebiotics, botanicals, and plant fibers that nourish your microbiome and supports digestive health. It comes in a variety of tasty flavors like vintage cola, strawberry vanilla, lemon lime, and banana cream. Back in May, there was actually a report that Olipop's root beer flavor is the number one best-selling single-serve root beer. Now they're coming for the top spot in a new flavor category, ginger ale. Give it a try today. I've got a couple in my fridge, and of course, it's delicious. Sidious Mac Podcast listeners get 25% off non-subscription orders by using code Sidious25 at checkout when they visit drinkolipop.com. You can also find Olipop at Whole Foods, Sprouts, Kroger, Target, Walmart, Publix, and other retailers. So next time you're looking for a refreshing and healthy drink after that long run or hard workout, reach for an Olipop. You won't be disappointed. Feel free to tag us and tag Drink Olipop on your Instagram stories. We love reposting those. Drinkolipop.com, code Sidious25. My guest for today's episode is Danny Mackey. He has been the coach of the Brooks Beast since the team started in 2013, and now he can say that he's the coach to a world champion after Josh Kerr's stunning 1,500-meter victory in Budapest. The Beast have put together a strong year, with Nia Aikens winning the U.S. Indoor and Outdoor 800-meter title before finishing sixth in the world. Marta Freitas and Isaiah Harris also competed at the World Championships. Henry Wynn is running strong with a fifth-place finish at USA's and then a 353-mile PR at Falmouth this summer. It's been a culmination of more than a decade of hard work, learning, and adapting for Coach Mackey and his meticulously scientific training perspective and approach. He's vocal about doing things the right way and not operating in any gray zone. You'll learn much more in this episode that goes beyond just the makings of a world champion. A quick note before we start the episode, 
and a little bit of a content warning. This has also been the most tragic and difficult year of Mackie's life. As reported by Let's Run.com, back in March, his fiance died by suicide, and he's now raising his five-month-old daughter on his own. He took a few days away from the team and then coached remotely from the U.S. while the team was in Budapest. The pain and loss is still felt by Mackie, and he's been resilient for his fellow coaching staff and his athletes all along the way. So without further ado, here is Coach Danny Mackey. All right. And now we welcome on Danny Mackey, the head coach of the Brooks Beast. And, you know, I think this episode is going to be kind of a behind the scenes of the making of a world champion. But I kind of want to go back to... 2013. That's when kind of you and I first connected. I was 19 years old, summer intern for Flow Track out in Europe. And, uh, you know, you had, I guess, like one of the OG B squads. And I guess I, I'm kind of curious, like, what was at that point? It's so early on in the team's formation. And, you, you know, you and your coaching career, what was sort of like the mission at that point that you were set on when you took the job with Brooks and you were assembling this core group of athletes? Because now, you know, faces have come and gone over the years. But, you know, your job has kind of always been the same. It's just kind of deliver medals and, you know, get the Brooks spikes across the finish line first. And it finally happened. Yeah, I can't believe you're 19 out in Europe. Um, <laughs> wow. Uh, yeah, so nothing is it's it's funny because you, and it is funny you write you, you when i was trying to get the job i had this um it's called the master plan it's like one of the things you would do on top of a resume to you know try to get the job and i had on there uh one of the goals this is grassroots elements what we do um i came from a clinical and like performance background from grad school and so i uh you know no, I, I look at, I said this just even last week, I, I look at endurance sports, so track being one of them, as like the pinnacle, the, the tip of the spear for like just human fitness and well-being. Because if you're going to do it for, especially if you're going to do it for year in and year out, like the athletes are, they're at they're at the forefront of all of that. Um, and so, or they should be. So we had, I had those elements in the master plan. And then one of the, the, the two of the points was to win world and Olympic medals. And so everybody would say that if they're trying to get a job and uh, I was 32 when they hired me. And so I, I, and I knew I'd worked at Adidas and Nike and Puma. So I knew what our budget was and I had a pretty good assumption of what theirs was. And so it's kind of funny because it's like, what dream world are you living in? You know? And so, but I, I, that's been one of the goals to two of the goals. And so uh, yes, yeah, so to, to do it, but, but I, I was dumb enough to think that it was possible. I was smart enough to know that, um, we could have a massive budget and I don't know how you quantify who's the best coach, but like you say, I was the best, I was the best coach ever. And I could have some NCAA champions, like 10 of them on the team. And it might never happen. Like, it's just so hard, uh, to, to do that. And so when I was watching Josh race, I was hoping to get to the final. And then I was like, cause he's done it now was at the fifth. So he did it in 19, then it was COVID year. So 21, 22, 23. So four years in a row. And so that's really, really hard to do. And you start getting worried in your brain. You're like, okay, if I'm the statistician here, that's going to end at some point. Like hopefully it's like a Nick Willis and it ends when he wants it to end. 
that streak, but it's, it's just really hard. I mean, the first, I would say the first coaches that I knew do things that are one, I know for sure. One, I really assume do things the right way. And by the right way, I mean, they don't play in the gray area of hormones. They take the athlete's health first was when Dan Paff coached Greg Rutherford to gold in Beijing. And that's the long jump. And then when Emma won gold with Joe in 17. And so it doesn't happen a lot, you know? And so I'm still not, I've still not processed it fully. Um, Haven't celebrated it all. Like, um, yeah, I had to go back to work and back to take care of my daughter. Like actually I woke her up from her nap to watch Josh win. Cause I was like, he might do it. So let's, let's get her out, wake her up just so she won't remember, but I can tell her. Um, yeah. So it was super special. Like even yesterday, cause you're at fifth Ave, they, they did a really, well, they just had the camera on Josh and he replayed his last 200 and I still got goosebumps, you know, and like it's been three weeks. So I don't know if, if I'll ever process it. I'm just really, it's, I hear people say this and I know what they mean. It's like, you just get humbled by it. You're like, man, that was really hard to do. And so Somebody like Josh too, somebody I've known for five and a half years and been coaching for five and a half years. Um, you know, like I just have tons of respect for him. When he was, we call it fight camp when we're at this last world camp. So it was this knee Isaiah, Marta was ready in Europe. So it's knee Isaiah and Josh and I, and then Julian, our co- assistant coach and uh, Sarah, our physio. But uh, I felt so bad for Josh at some point. I didn't tell him this, but I started dieting <laughs> and like cut out caffeine completely and was just like, and I was like doing martial arts training like six days a week, which is really hard to do when you have a kid. Like Sarah was even helping me um, watch Isla for the hours. So I could just get out and do it running every day. Cause I'm like, he, if he doesn't do super well, it's going to rip his heart about, but he, he loses really well. But I just was watching him like day in and day out, like kind of suffer a bit. And it's like, I hope it works. You just never know. Cause you're up against some, some killers in there, you know? So, yeah. So- I guess it's over, you know, the decade since, you know, you got hired with Brooks, how has your sort of like coaching style and, and approach changed? I'm sure there, you know, there's been so many things you've learned over the years that you're like, all right, you know, we tried that for, you know, a season or two and that didn't really work. So we're cutting that out. Let's shift to this. And, you know, all these trends are popping up as to like what, you know, you've got along the way, the super spikes era comes up. So you've had to change so many things. Oh, I've changed a lot. The only thing, the only thing that I think has been a staple is the science part of it, because I I come from that background, and there has been a couple of things with a couple of things that we do in terms of just like the biometrics of like just writing a training plan that have stayed the same. But outside that, like, it's I I have learned a lot about how the brain functions, so the psychological aspect of it, like cueing, like what do you say to an athlete before a race? How little do you talk to him? How little do I talk to him before practice? Like I'm very conscious of that. And um, I try to develop, I, I have, I try to like walk this fine line of like, we are tied to each other. Like them doing well literally puts food on my table and keeps me employed. And me doing well helps them literally make more money. Like they, every race they do, it's like that clear. Here's how much your prize money you win. And do the second contract and they're just, their general happiness is tied into how I would lead the team. So I'm way more aware of that. I would say the biggest area and then the psychology, like I said, I'm way more aware of that because that, that joyful aspect plays into their, their psychology. But the biggest thing that I've changed is I'm a lot more like lax about things. 
Like I, uh, there's, there's these objective kind of truths in, in coaching. Uh, I wouldn't say kind of, there's objective truths in coaching that are maxims that I stick to. And then everything else is a, this vast art of uh, being subjective and what's happening on the day, how they look, what's my gut telling me. And, and then also giving them more space. And so, um, but being intentional about when I do that. So there's sometimes where I'm just, uh, we're at the track. I'm like, well, what do you, you know, if we want to switch a workout or adjust it, like, what do you want to do? And, be, and a lot of the rookies, like when they ask me a question, like, I thought you're supposed to know this answer, <laughs> you know? And so I just let them do it. And same thing with like before races or sometimes pre-race talks, it's just like one or two things and that's it. And I said, you just, you have to figure it out you know, the rest of it. And so uh, a lot more, if, and if somebody doesn't do something, I don't get as worked up about it. I've just seen enough movies now. If I use that analogy for what coaching is, I've just almost seen it all. And so I hope I have, um, cause some of this is pretty bad. So hopefully I've seen everything and yeah, I just let the story play out, you know, like try to, I try around 2018 was a fairly rough year with the team. And then that next year in 19, I was like, you know what? I'm going to coach the way I want to coach and the way I want to coach. The reason I do this job, I mean, my, my story of like careers, I wanted to be a college professor, want to be a doctor, college professor and coach. And then I started getting into more high performance and I got the job at Nike. And those are all service roles where you're just really connecting with the human, the person getting to know them. And it's a little bit of exposure. It makes me vulnerable as a coach. And that hurt me in 2018. I think some of the athletes, you know, some of the people on the team at that point really exploited that. And it puts me at risk just because we're in a world where you, you say the wrong thing with the best intention and you get canceled for doing that. You could get fired or lit up on, on, um, you know, on news outlets. And so the reality is if you're going to get to know the human, you're going to have to be vulnerable. And I just decided in 19, that's what I want to do. This is what I don't get paid enough. I don't make that much money where I'm just thinking like, okay, I can do this for 10 years and retire. I want to get a lot of fun out of this and joy and really connect with athletes. So I started to do that more intentionally. And um, like, you know, I think in Nia, when the week before USA's, I texted her, I said, Hey, cause I, I bought a piano cause I'm teaching myself how to do that. And I had, I know I was playing the guitar and she does all, I don't know if you listen to her songs are really good. So her and I went to the guitar center for, I don't know, like two hours and just played all these guitars. And like, that's not something I would like normally do with a coworker, but we have a different role and that's all it was. And, you know, I got to, I get to know, you get to know an athlete off the track. You learn a lot about them and you could coach them better. And so I just, I wanted, I wanted to do that and it's been going well, you know, we're on a ship together with this stuff. So if the team, it's not, I don't think it's coincidence that like everybody, almost everybody had a really good year this year. Yeah, because they start kind of vibing with each other and they start getting to know each other. I've had a, you know, her personal level, a horrible year. And the athletes have stood up phenomenally to like help Isla. That's my daughter's name and I. So you got to, you got to do those things. I think you get a little older and start knowing what you're good at and what, what drives you. And so for me, really looking forward to going to work, which doesn't mean it's fun. It means sometimes it is, but sometimes it means it's really hard. Like it's really challenging. I barely slept the world championships a lot on the line and it's just a track meet. So there's a lot at stake. It's not like diminishing um, how difficult the, the job is, but the joy comes from knowing the humans that are doing it and knowing how they're going through the process of it. You know? So I, I really, that motivates me. It's like, I'm not 
we have practice starting October 16th, so five weeks from today. And so I get the first break I've had in two years. And uh, like, I'm already excited about practice. And that's really good going in our 12th season because they, there's mirroring neurons and like they will, they will pick up off of me and vice versa. So I tell the recruits that over the last couple of years, like, I want to work with you because I think you're going to have, have a lot of accomplishments and joy here and I'm going to enjoy coaching you. And so, yeah, so that's been really cool. I don't think I appreciated that just on a, my personal level, how it intervolves in the professionalism. Like we were just talking about 2013. It's like all of our jobs are a little weird because we're around each other a lot and for like long periods of time. And I remember when uh, Katie didn't make the Olympic team and it was her second year in a row of being the first one out. And the first person I saw was Taylor Dutch, who's an immediate works, for, you know, you know, Taylor well. And so mm-hmm. she just gave us a hug. That's, like a media person, right? She's like, I don't even want to talk, you know, she's like, that sucks. And so just really appreciating that is, is one thing that's changed a lot for me. Yeah. So it's easy right now. Like we're in this moment where the team is super successful and you, you kind of touched on, you know, 2018 being, was that base, maybe like the low, low point you, you had these ideas being a professor and, 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 you know, being a doctor that at any point in like this, the past 11 years, did you ever think like, oh. all right, like, this is it. Like, it's not working out. Maybe this is the year. This is the end of the team. Well, it wouldn't be the end of the team because they I'm replaceable, but it, yeah, yeah. it would have been under Danny coaching. Um, oh yeah. Yeah. There was two moments where one was 16. Um, Dan path, who is a really close friend and my mentor who coaches sprints and jumps and that he coached Donovan Bailey to a world record was, I mean, I think he's coached something like 22 medalists or something like that. It's, it's crazy. Um, he just saw me at the meet. And then that night I got text from him and he just said, don't think about quitting. And I was like, that's exactly what I was going to do. And so he goes, yeah, I could tell on your face. He just, he just said a couple of complimentary things and he said, just don't do that. And so, yeah, for sure. Like it, if, when you put your heart out there and somebody exploits that um, or the team doesn't, I, I, the t- performances don't bother me as much. It, it's that's the game. Like if you enter the sport, you're, you're, I tell the team this all the time. You got to be good at losing and willing to lose. That's the only way you truly are a champion. And, you know, when people bend the roles for whatever, however they do it, that's not, that's not like, that's not the game that I signed up for. So I can lose next year. could be our worst season on, on record. You know, like I'll come back for 25 and we'll adjust, but it's when the, it's when the, per, it's when it's just like, you just see like this dark side of people I'm like, man, I don't want to be a part of this, you know? And so, yeah, definitely two times. I'm like, this is not worth it, you know? And so I try to really guard against that. Cause the other thing too, is that athletes don't, won't do well. Like the two times that happened, we didn't have good seasons. Um, well, 2018 was okay, but yeah. Yeah, so for sure. And maybe that happens again. I think with how much we work, like the hours and the straight months back, you know, you might prioritize things. But my, I, I think of Frank Gagliano, this is one thing that was true in 2013, our first season. I have said this for 11 seasons now. That's my goal. And I, I ideally do it. I've always respected athletes that are like, they hold it down with one team. Like, yeah, and just might hurt my leveraging, <laughs> but 
I want to do it with Brooks and I want to be really good when I'm like in my seventies at what I do. And then maybe at some point, maybe then I step away and I'm just like this old, old Yoda guy on the sidelines that just helps the new staff and helps athletes and does it for the love of it, you know? And so I, I look at, at coaches like that. I like that. Yeah. Being the yeah. next gags is a good gig. You just bring your own lawn chair to, to whatever meet and you get the best. 100%, the house. Man. <laughs> yeah. And everybody just comes, you're the godfather. Everybody just comes and says hi. And yeah. you got something smart to say. Yeah. Uh, so we'll, we'll go through a bunch of the team, but you know, I'm sure a lot of people want to hear about Josh and you put up the Instagram post just a couple of days ago where you said, this is the last full week of training camp, last hard workout in the world championships fight camp. Aside from chasing Isaiah for the first two, the workout was solo for Josh Kerr. And then you, you know, say it's 87 degrees, five mile per hour winds, you're 5,200 feet. And the workout was two by four times, 400, 75 seconds rest, three minutes between reps, four and five. The slowest rep was 56. The fastest rep was 54.2. So the average was 54.8. You said, I could break down what I was thinking if people are interested, but the session is interesting as it stands. And I figured, all right, well, I've got a podcast and we could just talk freely and and kind of unpack things. And, you know, people do like to get sort of nerdy when it comes to workouts, not just, not this one specifically, but I mean, for there, there was fight camp, but when did sort of this Josh's specific master plan really start to take fold? Was it sort of when he put pen to paper and it's been this long journey for five years or really dialed in something around, you know, after before Tokyo where it's like, you know, then he got that first medal and that's another big mental sort of like breakthrough there. So how did you kind of approach Josh? Yeah. So when we signed him, we had a pitch and in the pitch was a six year plan through uh, Paris. And we had to be a world champion and Olympic champion in the six year pitch. I don't, I'm a horrible recruiter. Um, I would be bad at selling cars. Uh, I, and the athletes, if we work together, you would, it would probably annoy you at times, Chris, because I'm almost robotic about certain things. And that's not like because I'm on the spectrum and I don't understand interacting humans or politics. It's more of that. There's so much trust involved in what I do with coaching the athletes. They have to fully believe that I am being, I could be wrong, but I'm being at least honest, fully honest with what I think. Like I don't gas people up um, unless it's like a specific objective reason to do that. So I meant that when we're recruiting and I'm sure Matt and Steve uh, did as well. So yeah, it was in the plan. I mean, he got, he went from 35th in the world to sixth um, after a full year with us. And he was, he ran 332.5, then Chariot won at 329.6 or something like that. And then he medaled and then then it was COVID. Then he medaled. Um, And then he had a, he had a good year last year. We got, he got COVID. Like he tested positive the day after worlds. So, but last year was a little rocky. Um, in general, like we weren't in the spot that we were in going into uh, Budapest. Like there was the workouts were just a little bit, it's hard to articulate, but when you do something long enough, you just have a little bit of an eye. You're like, yeah, that if I told you how it went, you'd be like, oh yeah, you could definitely win. But it was like, there's just like something that is mechanics to see this pressing a little harder. You know, when I, the eight quarter workout that you talk about, he didn't run that all out because of the timing of when it was and what he did on Tuesday for the workout. So I told him, you got probably one more in you, even though he'd really only gone to the well twice. And so 
like we have to run this like a workout can't full send it like we did last year or for tokyo so i think last year was frustrating um so we made a couple adjustments with being a little bit ahead of this head of schedule um this year we still screwed up um in the 5k like we shouldn't have done it um but other than that like it was pretty smooth all the way through so yeah like the plan was like october changed a little bit of stuff in the fall where we did the half marathon um and then we just did one 3k indoors oh we did the 1500 but that was so we can go home um so yeah we were just more th- more patient with how many races we did um started a little bit earlier in terms of some of the harder stuff that we did and then we paid attention to nutrition and talk he talks about that a little bit in some of the interviews i think he maybe even you guys he gave one where he talked about that mm-hmm. so we just started ahead of time where it got real serious was he did um the zon got nine not that we change anything but that was like when the clock started because like we that's when it got like to the point where i was saying like i felt bad for him i was like he is really putting everything he can into this because it was just it's kind of a suffer fest and so yeah that like 60s at 62 days or something like that that's when it like shifted to like okay we're going into peak mode now like i'm always big on balance there the balance is there's going to be an imbalance towards you are you are getting ready for war and that's like that's what we're going to do the next like seven weeks seven seven and a half weeks and so that's when it got intense and then you started to see uh, uk champs were a little different but like you started to see this kind of trajectory in his his training i was actually a little worried that i screwed up um his peak and it was a little early i didn't tell him that but that was also one of the reasons why i told him not to go this hard that hard in that four by eight or eight by four i was like he looks really good right now so yeah so the way you kind of broke it up obviously the winter bigger focus on strength the the half famous half marathon, which like, I love joking around with him about winning the three K. Yeah. So then I guess like once the outdoor season rolled around, when was sort of like that shift into that focus on speed? Because, you know, I guess when did that pure sprint work really begin for him? And I guess like, are you throughout the season tapping into, you know, Dan for, you know, any sort of suggestions when it comes to like really sharpening him up? Yeah, so we're getting into technical stuff. This is technical stuff. This is good. So we started to do speed uh, mid, late May. Yeah, like so he was starting to shift into like if you're using just a extreme example, like trying to be able to run 143. Yeah. You know where like so, um, yeah. So that started like late May. Uh, no, I I bother Dan so much about other stuff. Um, and one of the reasons why we became friends is because we have a little bit of a debate around speed reserve. Like he sent me Keely Hutchinson or Keely, uh, Keely's workouts and, or, and she ran a quarter and I was like, I don't care. <laughs> no, I know she beat Nia. Um, but Nia's gotten like three seconds faster than the 400 here. That's not like, we're not, it's not like we don't do speed. Um, depends what day you show up to at beast practice. Some of you be like, Oh gosh, Danny's just a big speed guy. Or like, why isn't he on the track as much or whatever. Um, so, no, I, I work, Dan has been helpful with Josh on the, the biomechanical part of stuff. And he's more like curious, I think about like what we do. That's one of the cool things about him is Dan's probably like late 67 or something like that. And I, 
would have to go on this insane tour. It's like catching Jack Nicholson, Nicholson's record, you know, in golf. It's like, you got to start at like 19, right. To like get close to it. Like I'll never get close to like what he's done. Um, and he's at, when he asks me questions, sometimes I wonder, Oh, is this good? Is he going to critique it? No, he's just like, wants to learn. It's amazing. So yeah. So then it, that started then. And then he started to get looking pretty good, like at Portland track festival. Cause he beat Isaiah and Devin. And so, and that guy, uh, Kibet from, um, mm-hmm. union. Yeah. So he just looked good doing it. Uh, and his opening 15 was three thirty. He got lit up. Like I said, nine guys beat him, but three thirty is pretty good. You know? Yeah. So yeah, he started to get faster. Then he got quicker, like his workout before, um, the first round, he ran a one eighteen six hundred, and he didn't start. And that was his second rep. And he didn't start going until, uh, 300 in. Oh, That's pretty quick. Yeah. Yeah. So in a training session. Yeah. I like how you call them key performance indicators instead of just like, uh, like flashy workouts where I, I guess there was this one, anything else kind of like early on in the spring that really were like, okay, he's looking. Oh Yeah. Yeah, like one that I would you'd put on social media to brag yeah. about, right? Like uh, he ran 10 miles at altitude by himself and averaged, he's going to get mad at me, uh, 504. Wow. That's pretty quick for a workout. And In I, Albuquerque? Yeah, by himself. Um, yeah, he did that when I was like, all right, bud, you got to <laughs> – Either you're going to win. I think I said, you're going to win worlds over training too hard. <laughs> so, um, might've been quicker than that. I, I should know that cause that's a KPI for us, but yeah. Yeah. That was like the nutritionist one... too, right? No, we, we, we have Dr. Kyle Faffenbach and working with okay. him 11 years. He's like in the family for better or worse. He rides the, he rides with us. Like he's at, you've seen him before. Um, he's been at every major, major meet. Um, so he's always worked with Kyle, uh, but we adjusted some things with Josh on that, on like his weight side of it, just to see if we could tweak some things and how he'd feel. Um, Cause it, you, you, like, I don't know, you might be, well, you know, Alan Webb, but the, mm-hmm. the crowd might be, the audience might not, not know him super well. If you read his book sub four, he talks about like getting too light and like what that did to him. So there is, there's a, the classic things that you see with um, stress fractures eating disorders that like are the, the, you know, like extreme versions. But then there's also like, you just get sick or you get hurt, like, like sit like bone stuff, but just like can't recover. So you don't want to, you got to watch where the line is, you know, and Josh is definitely um, similar body type to me where it's like, can lose a lot of weight, can gain a lot of weight. And so those athletes are in a lot of ways easier because they can, they can get light as the season goes. And then they just kind of, it's almost like, like a fighter, like they cut weight and then they, they go back to their like walking around weight. So it wasn't that extreme with Josh because he had to hold it for like a month. But, and he, he was pretty happy. Um, and his workouts, every workout looked good. So it's probably the weight he should be racing at, you know, as we get down to the season. But, uh, yeah, like he, he kept, he did that workout. And then another one he did, um, it was actually before the three Ks, way early, but he ran, we did nine, three hundreds. And then a six on two sixes and he just was running quick. Like it was at altitude by himself. 
he just looked good. I like that's kind of going into Melrose. I thought he could win, but that was a little bit ahead of where he'd been. But the big thing with him is the effort wasn't hard yet. Like we hadn't done something that it was like a 10, it needed a 10. Like that workout he ran was like an eight. So it was like the effort was lower, which to me, the biological cost is lower. So that means you can kind of have more flexibility as the season rolls out and you're not like killing them to get to it. How'd you kind of, and I know like there's a big focus on Josh, but then you've also got Isaiah running well, Henry running well. How did you orchestrate kind of practices around where like these guys also were involved in a lot of these workouts with Josh and also reaping some benefits on their own? So one of the things I shifted in the last five years was we practiced together on our hard days. I used to have it, the 800 crew would go and then the 15 on up crew would go. And that was so I could pay attention to them more. Now I was like, we're all, we practice together anyways, and they can learn from each other on hard days. And then I can also put guys in and pull them out or girls, depending on what everybody's doing. It's more fun like to have everybody there. Now I, poor Sarah has a treat, 13 athletes. Julian's literally pacing, taking pictures, coaching, and then I'm having to talk to everybody. It's madness. Like I'm tired on the workout days, but yeah, I, I, I coach the team, but I also coach individuals. So they all have their individual plans that I take time each week and I sit down and I send it to each person. So I've thought through like what they need to do and, um, yeah, making sure that they know that I have time if they need something. So I communicate with them on an individual level. And same thing with races. So it, that that part's like not, that's just time management and being a, not being lazy, to be honest. Mm-hmm. So that's that's what I did. And so, yeah, it was not like, I don't want to say it wasn't hard, but like wasn't, like if you came and you saw how we did things, you'd be like, oh yeah, it makes sense. Like, like it's not like this crazy thing that's unsustainable. So right. yeah, I, I like that too. It's more enjoyable. Like I, there, it was Fight camp was fun in Albuquerque with just the three, but it wasn't, it wasn't the same energy. Right. Like you need Marta there. You need like, um, Henry was there for a week, but he brings something different to the table. The 800 crew is always a little bit wild on the men's side. So yeah, it's more fun having everybody. Yeah. I'm still thinking about just kind of what you brought up way before about, uh, knowing like when it's time to talk to the athletes, when it's not like right before a race and, you know, just this fight camp mentality, where are you pulling like a lot of these tricks? It's sort of like with running, there's those studies and the textbooks that everyone's read and like all the, you know, past coaching books that are out there. And are you dipping into some sort of like MMA, like fighting stuff from time to time? And then, you know, knowing you're a big Bulls fan, like, are there things you're picking up from the NBA and then like just how those coaches kind of operate? Like, where are you, you know, trying to dig and find these little tricks and, and tips that make that little marginal gain uh, from all of those uh, seriously so like the two books i read first when i got this job was john wooden and phil jackson and i'd worked with uh um a couple nba coaches when i was at adidas and so yeah so i and i worked when i was at nike with some of the champion league athletes and so i for better or worse honestly like it's if you pay attention too much, you're just aware of too much. And that leads to some anxiety, you know, but I pay attention like very closely to what people do. Like if you see me at a meet, if I'm on my phone, it's because I'm doing something for work. 
but I'm watching drills. I'm watching coaches, body language. Like that's what I'm doing. Paying attention to the athletes. I could tell you right now, like when I show up to practice, I know within a couple miles, cause I write their training plans, but they, you know, this is assuming they do it. Like what every athlete is running right now per week, which might not sound like, Oh, that's, you get 25 weeks into the season. That's not the easiest thing to do. You really have to pay attention. I can also tell you like when they show up, who's going to have a good workout or not, because I, under, I know, I know how they walk. I know how they interact with the teammates. I know what's their normal, what's their not. So once those indicators start going on, where I need to pull them aside, that's when I do. Or if I do miss it for some reason, they have heard me till it's annoying to them that they need to call me. Like if we just roll through practice and like you feel like I, or they feel like I wasn't like totally aware of what's going on, then they, they know to call me. And I explain to them early in the season why they need to do that stuff. And yeah, we, we didn't do it this year, but, um, I know the coach over at uh, Jackson Wink, the head coach there is an MMA group. They had John Jones and Holly Holm and stuff. And so he speaks to the team and we use some of his actual things that he does. Like um, he talks about taking teddy bears away from the, your opponent. And so, cause then they get worried and the top, and we talk, I thought it's a lot philosophical and um, I want to, like, you know, with Jakob, there was some things that we both noticed. And I said, I, I think if you pressure him, I mean, who knows? Cause he's so dang good, but like, that's a teddy bear. You know, he knows how to put people, his throat, his foot in people's throats and break them. But it's a little different if he's doing that and they don't go away. Yeah. So that was just kind of my hunch. And I, I also, to my first point is he's not a good loser. And like I said, you, if you're going to be, a, if you're going to do it this way, you got to understand that like you could get, you could lose and that's, it's okay. Like makes you a different person. And so those people, I've seen some MMA fights, which is like very one-on-one -on -one, um, where I've seen those really great athletes. You put them in a little bit of deep water. It's they, they just, cause they're not used to it. It's not normal for them. Cause they're so much better than everybody all the time. Now it puts you at risk. Like Josh doing the move he did could have cost him, but he's in it to try to win it. So he was okay with that costing him another medal. Yeah. How much of it? Cause it's sort of like when Josh broke it down for us and he, when he came through the mix zone, I was like, so what'd you think of like, you know, Jakob celebrating the semifinal? He was like, well, if I really kind of wanted to express what I thought, like I'll, I'll get in trouble. I got in trouble last year. The British athletics like <laughs> escort was with him. I said, all right, we'll save it when you come to, you know, the Sidious studios. And so then he came by and he did sort of like analyze it for us. It was like, yeah, I mean, like he needed to be sort of like the center of not the center of attention, but something along those lines, you know, after it was a, I forget how he phrased it, but it was just sort of like he caught the sign of of weakness and just sort of like what Jakob yeah. did in that semifinal. And so it's like it goes hand in hand with sort of like, oh, all right, like you're able to read your your opponents there. Um, so I guess like speaking of sort of like the final, which I'm sure, you know, people want to, you know, kind of really unpack. Was it Josh obviously said that he went back and watched Whiteman's race from from last year a bunch of times and like. It's sort of like that. <laughs> You're not going to let that happen twice, except he did. And the same exact move 
was what happened and he ended up winning for you, I guess, was that something that you guys like discussed previously or like, how did you sort of approach that race? You got little glimpses of, you know, Jakob where you can see, you know, how you saw how strong he was in, in Lausanne and he, and, and Josh was in that race, but I guess like, were there little cues along the way that really helped analyze, okay, this is when I'm going to make that move with 200 meters to go. So this is where Josh and I differ which I think makes us a good team. Um, no, I looked at it like a computer and thought he needs, and I've said this before, and it's so funny that people don't can't differentiate the meaning of being in 327 shape and not running in the championship race. Like if, if you run 5277, which is what Josh closed in, in a 329 championship race, I would love to debate with you why you do not think that person is in 326, 327 shape. That's not a knock on those times. It's not a knock on, it's not saying that Josh isn't that much better than the guys who didn't do that this year. But like, I think there's four or five guys that if you, if you get no, if you get good weather and good pacing, they would run 327 in the world right now. Like that's not, so when I say it, I don't mean that he's like better than people. I think mm-hmm. there's about four or five guys that can do that. And so I just assume that he needed to be at that fitness level. So my job is to get his body ready to do that. And then there's certain nuances to Josh's point about that. The last 200, I don't think of it as like a weakness in Jakob. I just think that you're running so damn quick. What is What are they going to do? That's how I look at it. Like you, and so for me, what I did was we did a couple key workouts near as we got close to the world where we were hitting cut down splits each hunter because all that data is online. So I was like, if you can do it, which is not easy to do a practice, then you have a chance to win. Cause even there's another athlete too, that was running closing there on those times and or two others. So I uh, just needed to get him to run a little faster than that. And so when I, he'd be talking about like, Oh, I watch this. I'm like, that's awesome. I'm, that's what makes us a good team. Cause I wouldn't do, I, I watch his races too. But I look at the splits and think, okay, this is what he needs to do. If I can't, if we don't do it in practice, at least some form of it. And I'm like, can you do it at worlds though? That makes no sense to me. Like that's where other sports come into play where you have to like, I know there's emotional things that brings out the best in people, but track is a little bit of both where you've had to have done it a couple of times. Like you've had, I, I, you know, like Krauser's throwing a world record at practice. I know it's a different event. But the same kind of thinking needs to be employed to like what the endurance athletes are doing. So I looked at it from more of like getting his body and mind ready to do that stuff. Yeah. I, I guess like explain it for the the common person, myself included, simulating those pace changes for the final 250 meters. How do you do it in practice? Yes. You literally just have the, have him run a quarter or 500 and he starts, he goes through two to two fifty at what we anticipate the race pace to be. And he cuts down from there. And I time with cones, like what his splits are. I mean, I, I'm assuming most of the lead athletes do it some form of that, but I don't think we did anything special. I just think Josh wasn't really, he peaked at the right time. That was the hardest part about it. Like those workouts and stuff like that. But like if you run 52, seven, seven in lane two, after two hard rounds, that's not like that. That's why Jakob lost. That was really, that was something that hadn't happened yet this season in any of those diamond league races. Like if it was paced at 
Well, we saw what Josh did yesterday in the freaking rain. Yeah. And he let up at the line. That's yeah, the fastest time. That record. <laughs> 28 years or something yeah. like that? Yeah. No, it's 81, right? Is yeah. it 38 years? Yeah, 38. Yeah. Second fastest, I yeah, think, ever, right? Yeah. Second fastest or something like the fastest on the new course in rain. He lets up at the line. He's just fit. And if the guy over at Zurich didn't freaking ruin his race, he probably runs 27 high to 28 low. And this is, a, you know, it's right after the world championships, you know? So it's just, you know, that's, you make it to, so the, if you want to use Josh's brain on this, you get so fit and so ready mentally that you just start closing doors on people where it doesn't, I don't like Josh is like, I, I laughed and like, he saw something and I'm like, what did, what did you see at 200? Like, and I, I actually need to talk to him about it. It's just been like one thing after another, but um, you know, really good athlete. It's funny because the example I gave to him about the, just the mental side of it, I talk about this fighter, Alexander Volkanovsky. He can read people really well. Like he gets through around and he starts picking up patterns. So Josh studies so much film on his competitors that he probably did see something that we couldn't see from, uh, you know, our angle in the stands or on, on TV. But um, maybe that's, you know, that's what he said. He decided to go for it. Still, still risky, but being a great athlete, we talk about this a lot too, is like, you gotta be risk taker and I'll never, I'll give him like fun of him for it, but like, I won't, I'll be the first one there to give him a hug too. You know, if he goes for something that doesn't work, I think the athlete is er, owed that level of freedom when they're competing. It's mm -hmm. just they're they're out there doing it, so you got you can't control too much of it. What else is there kind of like to unpack from like that 15 final that stood out to you that maybe like not a lot of people may have noticed? Like, is there anything else top of mind for you that you're like, okay, like this is actually where maybe the race was made or won or whatever? Um. No, I, I think I think the lead up rounds being as quick as they were were like that prelims was fast. Mm -hmm. So like the recovery and the other thing that was made it tricky is that was yeah, he had two rest days between the semis and finals. A common not a common being like my dad who like exercises, not like a person who like a, a track person would get this. Like if you run some track workouts, like that third day is, or would be a fourth would be like sometimes the worst. So there was a lot in there from like the coaching side. Like, what do you do when you have two days off? Sometimes it's like your nervous system's on. You just go, you just go right through it. So, but in the race itself, I mean, I think it's more of the speed of that last 400 in lane two for Josh. It this, he was going crushing kickers. Like he's just ready to go, you know? And so we're three weeks later, right? And he runs fifth Ave and almost breaks it. That the course records on a faster course, the old course, like you, in the rain lets up and just was like 0.4 away from breaking it yeah it just fit yeah i think the rumor is that the first original course like i may have not been a mile and like i think fred lebeau might be like the only person in history who knows it so you know it's up for debate if josh <laughs> is the real uh course record holder after this weekend but no no i mean it's, it was a hell of a run um sticking kind of like on the mental side of of things nia was just so impressive at usa's and at Worlds, it's sort of just like you could see her and you could tell that she was locked in. And in the conversations with her, just sort of like this self-belief in her that, you know, it started during the indoor season coming away with, you know, the, the U.S. title there, then outdoors, 
it's it's been a process for her to really kind of like believe in herself and 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 develop that that a confidence um it's it's really funny because like each round of usa she just didn't stop to talk to the media same exact thing like during uh during worlds and we had the pleasure of talking to her before everything started and we said you know you got to give us the cue like we know you're you're fit and locked in like give us a head nod that things are going really well and then we saw it with just sort of like you know prs in the first two rounds and then ultimately finishing six in in the final so how much of this year was on the mental side with with nia just kind of like breaking through there and then having that translate just to the times because yeah, you kind of you you see it like everyone talks about the big three Raven a thing and, and Ajay for years. And it's sort of like, all right, someone eventually is going to do it. And it was Nia this year. Yeah, they interplayed a lot together. So the mental stuff that she was working on. Some of it was involved in communicating with me and then the communication with me caused shifts in workouts. Mm-hmm. So I think it started with her with the conversation we had when she didn't make the final at USA's last year, where it was. I, I use this stuff I've worked with in history. Like I remember having this conversation with Drew where it's like, well, he, cause he made the team in 2017 and then he ran, he was running really well that summer. And then in the fall, he looked good. And he goes, you know, this is, that's the only world championship the next year was indoors at Birmingham. So it's like a great city in Europe. That's it for the year. So it was going to be staff. He was like, I don't remember which one of us said it first. We're like, I think you can medal. But whatever one of us said at first, the next day, he was asking more questions about like getting, trying to do that. I said, well, it's almost like this movie. It's like scene where it's like, are you ready to go to like, see what you're made of? And he goes, well, what have I been doing the last sport? I was like, it's different, man. It's a different, Nick was, Simmons was different. And when he won USA's and he, sued USATF and so he didn't run in worlds that year, but I think he would have won. There's a, there's this next level where it's like your commitment is literally you're all in. And so he was like, yeah. And I was like, think about it for a day because you're running really well and this has been fun, but there's a risk to this. Like you could get sick, you could get hurt. And he's like, I want to do it. And you know, what's crazy is like Drew never got back to that level. Like we just cooked it. I would hope he would say it was worth it made two teams, got a, got a world medal. Um, but you know, it just, we, we went hard and sometimes you do things the right way. And like your body's just like, I don't want to do that again. Your brain just stops it. And so, um, yeah, with Nia, we had a similar talk and I, I, you know, I want, I got to figure out how to, well, there's not many athletes you can have that talk with. They got to have the physical and mental tools and Nia has them or had them and has them. And so when she was like frustrated about that USA meet, I said, well, we could do things differently. Um, you just got to be all in. And that's hard. Like you got to be thinking every day, am I following the plan? Does the plan make me feel how I think it should make me feel? And I got to talk to Danny. And so that's more where it started. And then you start running like any, I don't care who you are as an athlete, you start running some of the sessions she did. And you're like, you know, like she did one, she did a 600, 200 before USA's. And I was like, I don't know if anybody can do this one in the country. And so she was like, not happy. I was like, hold on, look at me. You just ran this. That's a 600 PR for you. And you're pretty good at the six. And then you ran a 25, one, 200 after that. Like 
if you're watching that, like how many people do you think you do that in the country? I don't know. None. Yeah. No, and it's not at all. Like I'm the first one that's going to tell you, I'm worried about her making the team next year, you, you know? So yeah. So I think it, it started with her thinking of herself as being somebody that could be that good, even though she hadn't done it yet. And then the next step was starting with like, okay, well, how's it act out? Like, what's the plan going to look like and communicating with me. And it was, it was so fun working with her this last year. It was like, as a coach, like really gratifying and watching her have confidence, especially at worlds. Like I saw her, I said this, I think in another interview um, where it was a semis and I saw her just taking, I just, I know her really well. And I saw her like breathing through it a little bit at the starting line. I was like, okay, she can make the final. Cause she did a couple of things we, that she's worked on herself and we talk about a practice and immediately like calibrated and locked in. So yeah, she's, she's made some big steps, but it's been, you know, for 12 months, she's been doing it. That's why I think she won indoors, won outdoors, made the final and PR the final. Like it was a very, like, it wasn't a one-off thing. And I'll be the first to also say, even though I'm married about making a team, that's out of respect for the, how deep the women's eight in the United States is, but also be the first to say that like, it's not a one-off, like we can improve from this. Yeah. yeah. And then looking at, Isaiah season, it just also seems like, you know, he was on a roll first off. Like I was just so impressed of just like in general this year coming off of, you know, last year, uh, at world indoor is just sort of like the injury there getting it together for outdoor season. And then like this year being successful for him, what has impressed you about Isaiah's, uh, year this year? I think it was because we were against the wall outdoors and, his Achilles started to get hurt. So he hadn't, he hadn't run fast yet. He lost like a couple of races by kind of a lot. I mean, Josh and him talk crap to each other still because Josh beat him in the in Portland. <laughs> and, uh, um, and yeah, the body was starting to kind of give in a little bit. But he really rallied at USA's from a very like um, – you know, some people have like this bravado, but it's a false confidence. It was like, no, yes, this is how you run for your last seven races outdoors, which none of them were bad, but they weren't somebody you'd look at him as like, nobody talked about him making a team. It's like, we know how good you are. We know how fit you are. We are not deviating from this plan. And we didn't, we never talked about that. It was so like innate and genuine that we're like, no, you're still going to make this team. I know you haven't done it since you were in college. But like you're gonna make a team, so his was like not surprising to me. I just he's a gamer, like he's just somebody that, and that gets him into trouble sometimes because he can just rely on that like part of him that he just the skill set he has. So uh, yeah, I think for him, we have a lot of things we can do next year. Like he wasn't in a you know you ran you made a team that ran for one forty four, but he never got like in a role racing wise. I think it was just because that Achilles was annoying. I think we raced a little too much. So for him, there's some pretty big glaring like holes that we can fix, which mm -hmm. is good. Yeah. The men's aid is not like the US, the women's aid, but it's still not a walk in the park. Yeah. If Isaiah Jew, it's getting like fifth or sixth, wherever he got. Like, yeah. So So for you, I guess like I, I remember I think Josh kind of like brought this up maybe yesterday when, when we talked to him and I think in a couple other interviews, just sort of like knowing the dates of like Olympic finals, world championship finals, 
I'm guessing you, you already have the first day to practice set up, but the roadmap for Paris already kind of like underway with you for the rest of for the whole team. Uh, well, this is important and you know this cause you're running a marathon. Like you got to take your rest seriously. Yeah. I, I've heard the dates of when Olympics are, I quickly forgot them <laughs> and my, my brain will, my brain will run on stuff. And so, but we all need a break, you know? So we know when practice starts, I'm excited about it. I have already taken notes just so I can have the thought and leave it. Um, but no, like the boring answer is like, we, I told the team it's been eight times that this is the staff. These are the dates the staff is on break. You can, we love you. We can talk to us about something that doesn't have to do with running in a circle. And I don't even want to talk about when I'm on a run with my friends. Well, we can talk about it, but yeah, no, we all need to take a break seriously. It, Cause it is really important. Um, what's his name? Uh, Kip Kino and Lagat were people that when you look at their training, like how they took their off season was like, that's off season. So they're going to be doing light training, but I even write their training for off season where I'd say, get this in in a week. I don't care how you're doing it. And they say, why? So what if you go camping Friday or Saturday, Sunday, and you you run five days, do it Monday through Friday, or um, you're going to a wedding or you go into a party and you don't, you want to do your longer run on Friday because you want to go out with your friends on Friday night or Saturday night. Like that's when you do these things because you can't do it any other time other the year. And so hopefully they come into the season really, really rested and like in a good space mentally. And I've done since I've started to like take time out of the day to do things for myself, I've become a better coach, which is really uncomfortable for me to do. Like I do jujitsu on the road. Um, I bring my boxing gloves with me as well. And so, you know, like if I don't loiter at the track sometimes, like for a pre-race, like I'm out because I, got to get my run in or do some, you know, and so I get time, like I'd be really present, get to a flow state myself. And that's helped me quite a bit. Yeah. So I'll, that's good for them too. So we do don't have, have a down yet. John, yeah. Go ahead. Do you have a jujitsu spot in like Eugene with like all the trips you have to take? Yeah. So the Eugene, Eugene jujitsu sucks a little bit. <laughs> I hope <laughs> I shouldn't say that. Um, I don't, which is so annoying. It's the only one I don't like, yeah. I know where I go in New York. And so, um, I know where to go in Birmingham, Eugene, man. Eugene. There's another no, knock on I it. <laughs> I, I, right? Yeah, there there are two. Um, I also, like the two times I went there, to the I've gone to the one. There's an edginess in there that I'm like, I, I also don't need to be breaking my arm in here, man. I got to work, you know? So, uh, yeah, I, I'll try again next year. Yeah. Cause I'm going to be there for like, I don't know how many months or weeks. <laughs> yeah. That's, that's, that's our sport. Um, you've got some new additions to the team. You know, what, what are you hoping that they take away from like, I guess, joining at this pivotal moment for the Brooks beast where you've got all this success coming off of world championships. We're heading into an Olympic year for a lot of teams that, you know, that's when the pressure starts to build up, but how are you kind of going to use this as momentum going into the new year? I think it'll it'll um, validate for some of the younger athletes. I think honestly the 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 newest signee that you'll announce, um, I think with with that person, we got that person partially because of how worlds went. Like okay, because when they came on their visit, we don't do things like we don't we I think 
so we are so simple in some ways where it is unimpressive. So it's not something that's like coming to the front and be like, oh, there's this magic bullet or pill. Like, sorry. You know, we do think very thoroughly through what, why we do everything we do. So I think it validates it. It kind of calms things, the anxieties where it's like, okay, we've had the success on the global stage. Um, and it should build, like the new signees are the things that build so much momentum. Like what they bring to the table, um, I think their willingness to to really work hard, like will be higher. So there's this kind of like interplay back and forth. There's a synergy. You have the success on, on different events, two different genders, and the people that we've signed are in those two areas. And so they can look at it and say, okay, um, this stuff works. And I'll listen to Josh and Nia and Isaiah and Marva. They made, and, well, Allie and Dylan. So we had six people make teams this year. So that's how it should be. You know, the, that's why we operate the way we do from a team standpoint. It's not because I like being, I, I do, but it's also for competitive reasons. So yeah, I'm excited for next year. I, this will be um, third Olympics with the team, but I worked with them before in other jobs. They're to talk about Dan for the last time. Probably, he, he says it's 11 track seasons worth of stress. <laughs> I would agree with that. I would agree with that. Yeah. All right, Danny, final question for you. What's the best part of your job? I mean, it's clear that, you know, you, you love it. You've, you've had your rough patches where you've, you've thought, you know, that for a, mo a brief moment that like, all right, this may not be it, but you're sticking with it. You're heading into the biggest year. You're going to get, you're going to have all that stress, but what is the best part of your job? I love it when we're in championship season and there's a lot on the line uh, and the athletes start really narrowing their focus like an eagle and we're having staff meetings at like nine at night and we have, yeah, I like, I like that level of intensity. I love, I am a competitor and, um, you know, other than this year, because of what happened, I've fought every, almost every year. Um, I think, no, I have, I fought every year since I started, except for COVID COVID and then the, the stuff this year, the tragedy on my end. So like, there's no reason for a 40 year old dude to like go out there and fight somebody like if you're not getting paid, but I do it. Cause I like competing and, um, yeah, so that bring I love that. I love it when the athletes are in that mode. The world championships, even though I wasn't sleeping, that's normal for a coach. It's like, man, it's just fun. It's just, especially when they're successful, it just makes it more enjoyable. But I love, don't love Eugene. There's nothing to do for fun. Jiu-Jitsu sucks there so far. Maybe I need to open a gym. But, you know, like having all you, you, you know, you're there and like everything kind of matters. I love that stuff. They're yeah. like, oh, we need we need an extra ice vest because it's nine hundred degrees in Eugene. We got to find one. I remember I was talking to, uh, um, oh, uh, Caster, um, Coach Caster. Like I had to like drive out to his place, random, like it's some random Airbnb. He left the ice vest like just hanging out on the uh, on his uh, um, uh, porch. Like in, at night, I'm pulling up. I can't find it because it's in the hills back there. You know, like. I love that stuff when it's championship season. So I can't wait for it. Yeah. It's going to be good. Can't wait. Mm -hmm. Danny, I appreciate you taking the time for this. And uh, I'm excited for, you know, once the bees get back to, to training and then uh, really ramping it up into the season, you've got something special. And, and uh, yeah, it's going to be, it's going to be exciting to follow along. I agree. 
Thanks for having me, Chris. Thank you all for listening to this episode. I love doing this for you guys. I've only got a few asks here to close out the show. Please share this episode with your friends if you think they'll get any value or inspiration out of it. And if you have a moment to leave a five-star review on Apple Podcasts or Spotify that helps us grow and maybe helps us get better guests on the show, let's build this thing together. Visit SidiousMag.com for a lot more. We have a brand new website with tons more articles, videos, and podcasts. I love track and field. I'm Chris Chavez. See you guys next time.